So this morning we do begin our final chapter of this book of Galatians together. Galatians chapter 6. And as you know, thus far in this letter, Paul has spent most of his time in chapters 1 through 4 explaining and defending the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, in a way, in chapter 5, he transitioned to Christian living and about how believing the gospel of Jesus results in living and walking by the Spirit of God. Which leads to now, finally, in chapter 6, as you can see in the message title in your bulletin, it brings Paul to, to close this letter by giving some practical applications and examples, if you will, of walking by the Spirit. And we know that this passage is essentially some applications and examples of walking by the Spirit because of what's actually in verse 1 there. This is a bit hidden and even muddled in the English, but if you look at verse 1 in your Bibles, you can see that the Bible talks about someone restoring someone else in a spirit of gentleness, which that word spirit is the same word as the spirit from chapter 5. And then, as for who is supposed to do that, Paul says it's, quote, you who are spiritual. And, and, and on that word, it's true, that's us, right? When we hear someone who is spiritual, I'm sure we might imagine some super spiritual, exemplary Christian. Or maybe we even think of someone who's kind of strange, spiritualistic. But, but that's only because that word spiritual has come to mean that in English. I want you to know, in the original language, this word here for you who are spiritual, in verse 1, is also literally just the same root word again as the Spirit himself from chapter 5. And in fact, just so you can hear for yourself, this walking by the Spirit from chapter 5 in Greek is the word pneumati, which literally is just by the Spirit, while the people who do that are the pneumatikoi, those who walk by the Spirit, or in the English here, who are spiritual. And so I just want us to see that to start, because first that means that if we are Christians here, if you trust in Jesus, being spiritual here isn't supposed to be some fancy term. Rather, it just literally is talking about having and walking by the Spirit, which is true of all of us who trust in Jesus. But then second, this also shows us, again, what Paul is doing here. Because as you can see now, he's now transitioning from more general talks of walking by the Spirit to now giving some applications and examples of living and walking by the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to see together this morning, some applications of walking by the Spirit, both for the Galatians back then and that applied to us today. Which brings us then to an outline of how we will go through these five verses this morning. So to cover this paragraph, we're actually going to have four sections together. Four sections. And that's why we're going to have four sections, because for the first three sections, we'll simply look at these three walking by the Spirit applications in our passage. But then, after that, in our fourth section, we're going to step back and ask a more general question about why and how we do these things anyway. And so that's our outline of what we're going to see together. In summary, we're going to have three sections that are going to go through the passage itself, and then one section that asking why and how we do all this. And as for what those three sections will be about, we're just going to reveal them as we go. All that said, let's then begin with our first section. Here, we're actually just going to be in verse 1. Verse 1. 
And here we're going to see a more specific application of walking by the Spirit, and that's how to gently treat someone who's ensnared by some sin. How to gently treat someone who's been ensnared by some sin. And on this verse, being the first verse of the chapter, as we already mentioned, we know that Paul is now giving applications and walking by the Spirit because of that word spiritual. But also, as you might have noticed in the scripture reading, we know that he's giving applications on the fruit of the Spirit from chapter 5 because of this phrase, a spirit of gentleness, that he's now going to use here in this verse. Which remember, gentleness itself is in the fruit of the Spirit. But all that said, let's now begin by looking down at verse 1. So Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So it's very clearly three things going on here, and you can see them in order. First, this verse is, this verse is talking about what happens if someone, if anyone, is caught in any trans, uh, transgression. And specifically on this, we can assume that Paul is actually talking about Christians sitting here because he starts this verse off with that word brothers. And so this is talking about the possibility, which often happens in brother and sister in Christ, brother or sister in Christ being caught in some transgression or sin. And to us, the word caught sounds like they got caught, meaning someone caught them sinning, but actually the word caught here in the original language is more so is talking about someone being trapped in the transgression itself. Meaning the Bible is talking about someone who's been trapped and snared by some sin. Or say it most simply, how we would usually say it, they're struggling with a certain sin that they keep giving into. And to use the works of the flesh list, right, from chapter 5, which we covered last week, as to what this transgression could be, we could say that it could be, for example, a struggle with lust, or some sexual sin, or pride, or causing division, or hatred towards someone else, or, or envy, or indulgence in some kind some kind, or anything like that, right? But either way, the point simply is, a brother or sister in Christ is being ensnared by some sin. And so that's what's going on. Which leads then to second to what the Bible says about what we should do about it, and that's what's next. And this is where that idea of you who are spiritual comes in. And so by the Spirit, how should we act? Well, we should seek, as you can see, to number one, restore that person and, number two, we should make sure we do so with gentleness. Restore with gentleness. Right? Both of those are important because think about it. For all of us, when we hear of someone else's sin, often in our pride, in our self-centeredness, and honestly in our insecurity sometimes, what are we tempted to do and feel? Well, we're often tempted to sadly want to feel superior, right? Because they messed up, we're tempted to think that we're better. And we're tempted even to perhaps treat them harshly when we catch them or hear about their sin because we want to make ourselves feel better. Or in short, we're tempted to pride and harshness with that person. In fact, we can assume that this is probably what was going on in these Galatian churches. We know this first because this verse here, and so Paul thought they needed to hear this. But then we also know this because notice that 
verse right before this, in chapter 5, verse 26, which remember, chapter divisions were added much later, so this is Paul's last sentence he wrote. Notice there, Paul addresses the issue of pride and provoking one another and envying one another. And that's important to note, because we can deduce then that perhaps part of what was going on in these Galatian churches with professing Christians was this pride and looking down on others when we hear about the sins and struggles of others. But that's then why this verse here is so needed, why it's in God's Word. Because yes, it is true that when someone isn't repentant, right, or when someone is bashfully and blatantly sinning and not caring about it, then there is this biblical prescription for what the Bible calls rebuke. Never in pride, but there is a time to be lovingly clear and even firm with people who don't want to turn from their sin, especially if they say they're trusting in Jesus. And we do see this, right, sometimes in the Bible, even from Jesus himself, like in how he, in love, but with firmness, treated the Pharisees. But that said, on the other hand, when a brother or sister in Christ is trapped in a transgression, when they're struggling against the sin and it keeps bearing them down, it's verses like this that we need to keep in mind. Because instead of being harsh or prideful over them by the Spirit, our goal is, number one, their restoration. Right? They're good because we love them. And so we do not condone the sin, but also, number two, doing all that not with some intense strictness the true gentleness. Which really, if you think about it, is also how Jesus often treated people. Because think about how Jesus treated people like the tax collector Zacchaeus or the woman at the well. How Jesus knew their sin and he didn't condone it, but he also aimed for their restoration. And the way he talked with them was with such gentleness. And so this verse is saying that's how we, led by the Spirit of Christ, are to act. And so that's the first two parts of this verse. But that leads to one more thing. And it's interesting that Paul added this, because that itself, those two things could have been this verse, and it would have made sense. But then Paul adds that last sentence you can see in verse 1, where he says, quote, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Right? In other words, when all this happens, and if, this, if you're in a situation like this, and you're lovingly seeking to restore someone with gentleness, Keep a watch on yourself and your own sin and realize that you too could be tempted to sin. And so that's what Paul's saying. But the question is, so why put that there? Why add that sentence? Well, think about it. Why would this be here if the Galatians were, or if we are, people that struggle with pride when we know of other people's sin? Well, in short, this verse there would be, or that sentence there would be there and I think that's mainly what's going on. This last sentence here is to remind all of us that if we're the ones who didn't sin in that instance, still we need to recognize that in ourselves we're no different Amen. than our brother and sister who caught those innocent. And because we too could be tempted and snared by some of sin. So that's basically the whole verse here, first one. First one. And for us, in some ways, that is a pretty simple verse. It makes sense. But in other ways, it's a quite revolutionary verse. 
Because again, let's be really honest. People like us, who by God's grace know Jesus, who do go to church, who do want to follow Jesus, still, unfortunately, we can be such quick to judge and harsh sometimes. And again, yes, to be clear, sin really does matter, and there is a time to rebuke someone. But to be honest, biblically, that's less frequently of a calling for you and me than sometimes I Rather, as we just saw, if a person is a brother or sister, they're trapped in some sin, and if they're just struggling with that sin, our response is to be this gentle restoration. Never to condone the sin, but we also are called to be lovingly gentle with them as we see their good and restoration. The truth is, when we miss that, we can really push people away from Jesus and the gospel of grace. And honestly, only the Lord knows how many times such strict harshness in churches right, has led people, especially young people, away from Christ and his gospel. And so we do need to take this first apart. One last time, when we realize a brother or sister is struggling with some sin, like Jesus, we need to avoid harshly saying something like, but you're such a failure, you just need to do better. Instead, in love, the Spirit of God enables us to not condone the sin, right? To point that to the gospel where Jesus truly forgives them, and then to gently come alongside them, love them, aim for their restoration and good, all while knowing that we too are sinners. And so that's our first section. But that now leads us to our second section. For this, we'll just be in verse 2. Verse 1 was a more specific application of a situation. Now in verse 2, Paul will get a little more broad. So look down your Bibles again. Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the original language of this verse, that word one another is emphatically the first word here. So I want you to know that, because that then shows us that Paul is really stressing here how we should treat one another. And how should we? Well, very simply, by bearing one another's burdens. And that word burdens there is literally just the same word for weights. So the idea is see what others are going through. Right? What is weighing them down and help them bear it. That's it. As for what doing that is, in basic, the Bible then says in this verse that doing so is love. And we know that because notice Paul says that when you bear one another's burdens, you, quote, fulfill the law of Christ. And we'll talk more about that phrase later in our message, but in short, to understand what Paul means by fulfill the law of Christ. You can look back in Galatians 5.14, where Paul says in a similar context, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that himself, and therefore by saying this is the law of Christ, Paul's essentially talking about love. Right? Christ's law, Christ's instruction for us, his people, is to really love and so that's true, we will apply that in a minute. But first, briefly, as a quick side note on that, just to be clear, because this is a big issue for some people today, it is true that Christ's law is love. And yet, we also need to know that that doesn't mean that we don't need the Bible. 
I don't know, perhaps you didn't see that coming, or perhaps you weren't even thinking that at all. But I just want to bring that up because it's become somewhat popular, maybe you've heard something like this, to take this concept, which is a biblical concept, of Christ's law being about love, and then to say, and that's why we don't need to follow this written book. Because we'll just try to figure out what seems to be the most loving, and we'll just do that. And then it's through thinking like that that people can start to justify many unbiblical things. So quickly, I just want to bring that up because I hope we all know that instead of thinking like that, we should realize that, yes, the law of Christ is love, and we really are to love one another and love the world for Jesus. And also, though, it was Jesus Christ himself who appointed apostles who authoritatively declared his message and wrote down for us our New Testaments, as Jesus basically said would happen. And so we need to be people of both. We do. We are people who always aim to really love, as the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the law of Christ is love, and we're people of this book. Because this is the message of Jesus. This is from Christ, because this is God's work. Amen. Right, finally, just so you know, the last kind of side note, the reason we're people of both, and the reason these two things, real love and God's word, fit together, is because this book, being the God of love's word, right, being his actual speech and message, is what's always best and most loving for people. Right, so if we want to love, we need God's word. That's sort of a side note. Back to verse 2. And basically, being people of love is what Paul's talking about here. The Bible's telling us very clearly to really love one another by bearing one another's burdens. And applying that more specifically to us just for a minute, this verse then really helps us define, to define what this love that we're supposed to have for one another looks like. Right? Because the truth is, we as Christians can say we love one another. I hope you do say that. I really feel that. But the Bible gives us here an actionable definition, if you will, of love. Which is helpful. And in fact, on this, Martin Luther, the famous reformer from the 16th century, who wrote a lot about truth, gospels, you probably know, also wrote this. He wrote about this verse. Quote, To love is not to wish one another well, but to carry one another's burdens. That is, the things that are grievous to us. I think that's a really helpful, quick little quote because it shows us that even in the 16th century, 500 years ago, people were tempted to define love just as, I wish you well. And in some ways, that is a really good place to start. But the point of this verse is to fulfill the law of Christ, we actually must love one another by carrying one another's burdens. Or as Luther says, the things that are grievous to one another. And it's putting it that way that really shows us what this is all about. Because love then is displayed in seeing what is grieving others. And then love is helping them with whatever that is. It's that simple. Whether it's by texting them, calling for them, calling them, praying with them, meeting with them, having them over dinner, having coffee with them, crying with them, laughing with them, providing something for them, or just spending time with them, whatever it is, the point is, in love, we're to understand one another's griefs. Because we all have griefs. We all have burdens. We all have weights. And 
which come alongside one another and carry those together. That's what we're called to do here in verse 2. The Bible is saying that's love. And so for you and me, the question we should be asking ourselves right now is how can I do that more and more? Or better yet, who is the Spirit leading me in my heart right now? I'm seeking to walk by him more. Who is the Spirit leading me to perhaps get to know more? And then start to bear their burdens. And allow them to get to know me and bear my burdens. And we need to start there with just really getting to know one another, church. Because think about it, we can't do this first. We can't carry one another's burdens unless we actually know what they are. And so for us, that's that's our goal. As we try to follow Jesus, we try to act like Jesus, who bore and is bearing our burdens. And so we have the privilege of really getting to know and love others who carry their burdens. And then we have the privilege also of being loved by them in a similar way. Which then leads to our third section. So we're steadily going through this passage, as you can see, and we see an application about gentleness and an application about love. But now here in verses 3 through 5, which is their third section, to be honest, it gets a little bit confusing. And that's because, as you might have heard in the scripture reading, especially in English, which we'll talk about, some of this just sounds a little strange for Paul. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to read those three verses, and then I'll tell you in basic what I think the Bible is getting at, and then we'll go through each verse. So we'll look down at your Bibles. First, we'll just read the verses. So we're in Galatians 6, verses 3 through 5. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own burden. So again, maybe you feel that like those verses are a little bit confusing, and you might be thinking, what in the world is the Bible saying here? And to answer that in basic, after studying it for a while this week, I think it's pretty clearly this. Basically, these verses in the Bible are saying we should do these things from verses 1 and 2, right? Being gentle and loving for or because, which you might notice is the first word of verse 3 and the first word of verse 5, for because, number one, we're not that important. And number two, we shouldn't compare ourselves with others, but instead focus on what we say that again. The Bible is saying we should do these things from verses 1 and 2, being gentle and loving, for because we're not that important, we shouldn't compare ourselves with others, but instead focus on what we do. If that sounds confusing, just, just stick with me. But remember, on something that's confusing like this, this book of Galatians was a letter, right, written to people in history. And therefore, it seems that perhaps in these Galatian churches, Certain people weren't being gentle and loving towards others because they thought they were so important. While other people, maybe the same people, were too focused on comparing themselves with others and less focused on what they should do. And so with that in mind, it seems that Paul wrote these verses. But it seems for yourself to apply these verses, let's look at each verse. And we'll start with just that verse 3 again, because here the Bible tells us how we're not that important. And you can see that how in verse 3, the Bible says, quote, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And that at first might sound strange to us. We might say, wait, wait, are we really nothing? But, but I think we get Paul's point. Because on one hand, in one sense, of course, we're not nothing. Are we matter? Christ loves us and died for us. 
In fact, in verses 4 and 5, the next two verses, what we see is that what we do really matters as well. But then on the other hand, I think you can see what Paul is getting at with the saying like that. He might even be taking a common saying that was popular back then. We're not sure. You can see that what Paul is saying is he's saying, if you're the type of person who doesn't take the energy to think about and love others because you think you're so important, I need to realize you're not that important. Amen. Because when you think you're, you're really something and so special that you see yourself as above others, I was saying you're deceiving yourself. But that's not true. Instead, we're all equal sinners saved by grace through Jesus alone, and so no one is better, and so in a sense, we're all nothing, and everything is grace. And so that's verse 3. Then at least verses 4 and 5. And again, here, we see how Paul then says that we shouldn't compare ourselves with others, but instead focus on what we do. But see that for yourself. We're going to read verses 4 and 5 again. Just to remind you, look down again, verses 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So if you remember earlier, I hinted that this section, especially in English, is a little confusing, and that's especially because of verse 4 there. Because first, in verse 4, we have that English word boast. Right? Let's be honest, to us in English, boasting is almost always bad. But in context here, this word just means taking an honest account of what you've done and even taking joy in what you've done. Not in a prideful way, never in a prideful way, but in a real way. And so that's a little confusing, but then also, perhaps the most confusing English phrase in verse 4 there is that idea of someone having a reason to boast in himself. <laughs> because again, to us, that sounds awful. Right? Wait, the Bible is telling us to boast in ourselves? But in the original language, all this means is take an honest account of what you've done and not focusing so much on what others have done. That's the point. That's why the verse says, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. Amen. And finally, all that is supported by that awkward verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load, and not just people who pay exactly what Paul is talking about, but it probably is simple, as simple as saying, as the New Living Translation paraphrases, quote, for we're each responsible for our own conduct. That's, that's probably his point. And so basically then, all that said, even though it's a little confusing, you can hopefully see what the Bible is getting at here. Because in verse, verse 3, the idea is, don't think you're so important that you don't go and love others. And then in verses 4 and 5, the idea is, and don't compare yourself to others and what they do. Don't fixate on that. Instead, focus on what you do. You are responsible for that. And hearing both of those things, perhaps you see that it's quite interesting that these go hand in hand in hand here in verses 3 and 5. In fact, studying this, even though these verses were by far the most confusing this week, these two things going hand in hand were probably the things that I found most interesting as I was studying this passage. Because think about it. If we only had, and sometimes we talk like this, if we only had verse 3, where it says, if you think you're something, realize you're really nothing, then we perhaps could be tempted to think, yes, yeah, I'm not that important. And so, what I do doesn't really matter. But notice, that's actually the opposite of what comes next in God's word. 
Because instead of that, the Bible here says, yes, you are not that important. You need to know that. But also, verses 4 and 5, realize what you do really does matter. And in fact, the Bible is saying in these verses, boast, meaning take joy in how you love others for Christ. Don't compare yourself with others, but what you do does matter. You have the responsibility, the privilege to love and so for all of us, these are the two things we need to keep in mind then from this third section. We need to be humble. And at the same time, though, our humility does not mean that what we do doesn't matter. Instead, we have the privilege to love and to even take joy in how the Lord enables us to have Christ-like and Christ-glorifying love for other people. And so in a sense, church, that is our passage, our paragraph. We've seen three applications of walking by the Spirit, gentleness, another sin, bearing one another's burdens, and not thinking we're so important, but also knowing that what we do matters. But that finally leads us to our fourth and last section. And we rarely, I don't know if ever, do four whole sections together. But the reason I wanted to do so this morning is because now here, we're going to finish this really practical paragraph by stepping back for a second and asking, why and how do we do all this? And in a way, we already know the answer to that. There's the context, and that's by the Spirit, which is true. But there's actually something else in this passage that's really interesting on this, and that's how in verse 2 again, Paul brings up that, quote, law of Christ. Law of Christ. And so in this section, I want to focus a bit more on that phrase, law of Christ, first, because this is the only time in all of Paul's writings that he uses this phrase. The only time. And then second, I want to focus on it because it's interesting that he uses that phrase at this point in this letter of Galatians. Because think about it. Concerning Galatians, Christ came up a lot in the first four chapters when Paul was talking about the gospel itself. Right, we are saved by Jesus Christ, by grace through faith alone in Christ. But then, in a way, if you've been with us through this, you remember in chapter 5, Paul sort of transitioned to Christian living, and the Ephesus began, became about walking by the Spirit. Meaning, in a way, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, became the focus starting in chapter 5. And remember, Paul already referenced the Spirit in verse 1 here with that idea of being spiritual. And so if you're tracking all that said, we probably then expect Paul to say in verse 2 here, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill walking by the Spirit. And yet he doesn't say that. Instead, in this paragraph, at this point in Galatians, he brings up fulfilling the law of Christ. And again, we know he does say that because the law of Christ is love, but I don't think that's the only reason he brings up Christ again here. Instead, think about it. Why bring up Christ in this paragraph here? Well, basically, just think about who Christ has been who he is thus far in this letter of Galatians. Because when Paul says the law of Christ, he's talking about the Christ Jesus who in Galatians came into the world, lived a perfect life in history, died on the cross to remove our sins and curse, and then rose again. Right? He's talking about the Christ Jesus who saves his people by grace through faith alone, who's alive and he's coming back one day. As Paul said in chapter 5, which is our hope of righteousness. And so that's Christ, even just from Galatians. So why bring up that person of Christ here and not just keep talking about the Spirit? 
Well, first, it's probably because of Christ himself exemplified this type of love. But even more than just that, here's the big point. I think it's because when Paul decided here in this practical paragraph to write the law of Christ, and when we hear the law of Christ, we're supposed to think of the reality of Christ. Meaning, we're supposed to think about the person of Jesus Christ who came, lived, died, rose, saved, and is coming back, yes, but also who right now is alive. And this is what he wants for us. I mean, that's the question, right? Jesus did all this, he's going to do all this for us in the gospel, but now, in my life, what does he want for us? Well, this, this type of love, and that's why I think Paul out of the blue almost decided to mention Christ here. Because in short, the Christ who saved us in chapters 1 through 4 is alive. And he wants this, this gentleness, this bearing one another's burdens, this humility in his people. Or think about it this way. It's still a little confusing. Bringing Christ up here in this paragraph takes all of these practical verses here out of the realm of mere ethics. Mere ethics. Because we as humans, think about it, we love just talking about morality and ethics. And not because ethics in itself is simpler to understand and apply, because it's I should do this and I shouldn't do this, right? This is good and this is bad. That's mere ethics. But again, mentioning Christ here in this paragraph shows us, remember, this is not mere ethics. We're not just talking about what we're to do and not to do. Instead, we are talking about the living God, Jesus Christ, who is resurrected and reigns, and how this is what he wants for us. Amen. Meaning these are not just things to do or not do, but this is talking about the personal God who's involved in our church, who's involved in our lives, and what he wants for us, the law of Christ. And then so back to our question on this, on this section, that's why we do all this thing. Because this is not just mere ethics. It's about what the risen person of Jesus right now really wants for us, brothers and sisters. But that quickly and lastly uh, leads to the law of Christ also points us, though, to how we should do all these things as well. Because the risen Christ, think about it, isn't just watching us, wanting this for us, but he's also with us by the Spirit. And so taking all that together, we should think this is what Christ wants for us, and this is what Christ helps us to do in us by His Spirit. Which is why, by the way, trying to summarize this passage in the message title, I said that this is practical examples of walking by the Spirit of Christ. Because our Savior Jesus Christ is alive, and He not only wants this for us, but He's the one who can help us love like this. Amen. Which finally means for us then that practically we can do all this more and more, right? We can be more gentle and bear one another's burdens in love. We can be more humble and yet feel responsible for what we do like this. But we can't do it on our own. Instead, we can do it because Jesus is alive. He loves us. He wants this for us. And he really enables us to love like this by his spirit in our lives. And so as our pastor's church, gently love others, especially when they're ensnared in some sin. We're to bear each other's burdens. We're not to think we're so important, or also realize that what we do matters. And finally, we do all this because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. That's what he wants for us and how he enables us to 
to God. And so as we close, then I just encourage all of us, by after hearing God's word on everything there this morning, to now make it our aim to really know and live like this. I just want to say that because this means you make this passage applicable to your life. Whatever the spirit in your heart is leading you to apply from all this, go and do it. Right, for example, perhaps you're someone, you realize through this message that you're someone who's tempted to kind of be harsh with people when you find out about their struggles and sins. Especially you're tempted to do that with people in church or your own children. Or maybe you're even tempted to be overly harsh with yourself. And so maybe by the Spirit you apply all this by striving to be more Christ-like and gentle. Or perhaps you're someone who, who loves to talk about love, as most of us do, but rarely goes and bears somebody else's burdens. And so maybe the Spirit is enabling you to, to, to want to start to bear someone else's burdens this week, and to know somebody in this church more and start to love them like that. Or finally, perhaps you struggle with thinking you're not important, or you're so important, or you struggle with thinking that what you do doesn't matter, either one. And so instead of those, maybe the Spirit is telling you to remind yourself that yes, none of us are that important, but also what we do really does matter. And all of a sudden, that's our passage and some applications. And so now, again, let's actually go and do these things, church. Not just be hearers of God's word, but doers. And let's leave here changed by God's word and by God's spirit and go out in love, both for the good of others as we seek to love them and for the glory of our risen name.